he got tired of us. Um, y'all may have seen this. Some, some of you pr- may have seen this. I, we, I, put, I posted this to my Facebook, our Facebook page uh, at some point yesterday, and I, can, I can't even remember where I found it, but um, it, uh, it goes along so very well with what we've been talking about, the direction that we're headed uh, over the last month. And uh, it just really spoke to me, and it spoke so much, again, to, uh, to, to the message, uh, the message of grace, the message of the gospel. Um, so what I want y'all to do over the next, I don't know, 20 minutes, however, y'all know, I don't, you know, y'all, y'all know, I don't, I don't contain it to 20 minutes, who am I, who am I kidding? Um, however long it takes this morning. Um, I just want y'all to think about those two statements there as we're going through this this morning, as we're going through this sermon. And uh, not just that, uh, over the next week or so, kind of return to these two statements and just meditate on these things. Because this is so beautiful, and again, it just goes along so perfectly with what we've been talking about. Great danger lurks when people assume two things. Number one, that they are so bad that they have outsinned grace. Now, that's something we've already spoken to to a great degree. And I'll talk about it even more this morning. We cannot outsend the grace of God. And that's not an encouragement for you guys to go out there and do whatever it is you want, but it is. It is a fact of the gospel. Your acceptance by God does not depend on your ability or your inability to follow the law or the commandments. You cannot out the grace of God. You are always, always accepted, period. Not because you're good, not because I'm good, but because of what Christ has done. That is the gospel, folks. You can't out the grace of God. Next danger, however, and this is one that I'm afraid that the church, not our church, but the church in general, uh, is so very guilty of a lot of times. Here's a big danger lurks when we think that we are so good that we have outvirtued our need for it. How powerful is that? That speaks to our self-righteousness, folks. That speaks to this idea that I know I am so good. I am, I am so good at following Jesus. I'm so good at following the Ten Commandments, so good at following the law uh, that I don't even need the grace of God. I don't, even, I don't even need the grace of God in my life. That is a major danger. <laughs> a major danger. Stranger danger. That is a major danger, and and, uh, and 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 I know that we all have known people who have who have who have who have carried off this very self righteous air about them uh, because they're just so good and they're so pious and so perfect. If you ever get to, y'all, let me know if y'all think I've ever gotten to the point where I think I don't need the grace of God in my life. Um, so I'm just want to keep that up there for for. Uh, majority of our time together this morning. Y'all might just want to redirect your attention as we, as we go through this and kind of just keep rolling those things through your mind. Most of y'all, the great majority of you know that I, um, I started, I got started later in ministry uh, than, than most preachers do, most pastors. I got started late in life. You know, I've, I've been pastoring, preaching full time for uh, going on five years now, and I'm 47, so that lets you know how, uh, how old I was when I got started. Um, you know, during that time, I don't, I don't, I don't keep up with this stuff. I don't, I don't have any idea how many Sunday sermons I might have preached in the span of that time. Um, but it's got to be a pretty large amount. Y'all know that I don't miss a whole lot of Sundays, and as we know, there are 52 Sundays in every year. So I try to do the math of that. Now, math is not my strong suit, uh, but I try to sit down and do the math for, um, and just to get, 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 get kind of an estimate here. Uh, so for the sake of argument, let's say for the past four and a half years I've missed an average of five Sundays, which is a very liberal average, as you know. But let's just say for the sake of argument, I miss five Sundays a year. So over the past year, that would equate to about 211 sermons, 
all together for a span of four and a half years, minimally, minimal. So we're talking about 211 sermons that I've preached for four and a half years, minimum. So why am I telling you guys that? Because uh, <laughs> in the past four and a half years, going on five, after giving well over 200 sermons, I have never, ever received the kinds of responses, the amount of responses from the congregation as I have over the last several weeks in regard to what we've been talking about. I have never had this many people pull me to the side and say thank you, or even good job. Not that it's me, it's all God, but I've just never had that happen to me as much, and it's just, it, it's so, um, just so much, so much because of one little series of, of, of sermons that we've covered, one topic really that we've covered. Um, I've never had this many people text me, I've never had this many people email, email me about, about, about a, a subject, a topic that we've been covering. I even received a letter in the mail from somebody. I know good and well nobody writes handwritten letters anymore. But this person sat down and took the time and the effort to, to, write a, to write a letter that said how much they were impacted, not by me, but by the message. And why is that, do you all think? You don't have to answer out loud. But I believe, you know, it's because after five years and 200-plus sermons, I simply started preaching the simple and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was not anything that I had planned on doing at all. Like I told you guys over the last few weeks, God, God turned my world upside down when this thing dropped into my lap. Absolutely turned a lot of my theology upside down, my way of thinking upside down. You know, And, I, and I'm not standing here telling you guys that I think I've preached anything wrong necessarily. Um, certainly not heretical, I hope anyway. Uh, but, you know, I have to confess to myself. I've got to confess to myself. I've got to confess to you guys. I've got to confess to God that I have preached to y'all and I preached to my previous church a lot of doing. I have preached a lot of action. I have been so dogmatic about following Jesus that I have placed unrealistic and unobtainable expectations on both myself and on you guys. And that's just not the gospel of Jesus Christ, church. It's not, it's not the gospel of the man who said in Matthew these words, Come to me, all you who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden light I have given y'all and I have given you myself a heavy heavy burden to carry when I have been so dogmatic about these ideas and I told you guys first week to start preaching on that I'm sorry I'm sorry not that preaching following Jesus is wrong it's not Jesus will teach us to follow him <laughs> Jesus will teach us to follow him you know, and I told you guys in the first sermon on this kind of series, even before we jumped into Galatians, you know, Jesus affirmed the law to us. Jesus affirmed to us in the Gospels all 613 Old Testament commandments. He reiterated, he reemphasized all of those expectations of God, all of the commandments, all of those do's and don'ts. And he even took the law a step further. He raised the bar of the law, and he gave us the full picture. Jesus said it wasn't just our outward actions, just our outward words that were sinful, that it was the things that dwelt deeply 
inside of our hearts, all of our motivations, all of our intentions, all of those things we would never in a million years, all of those thoughts we would never in a million years tell another person about. That's where the sin lies. That's where the problem lies. All of these things that separate us from God and try as hard as we might, there is no way that we could ever, ever fill these commands. Ever fulfill these laws. Let me give you one that, that y'all, y'all know I have preached so much of, and I believe it. Don't get me wrong. I think this is the perfect will of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of us know that's the will of God. Y'all know I have preached on that probably dozens of times. And I know that it's the will of God. I believe it's the will of God. Love your neighbor as yourself sounds simple enough on the surface. But what God means, what Jesus means when he throws down this commandment, it doesn't mean that God's law, through God's law, we're called to love our neighbor sometimes, on occasion. The requirement of the law under God with that commandment would be that we love every single person with whom we come into contact with all the time, every time, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter if they've hurt us personally, absolutely no exceptions. Have you guys done that? Can you do that? Absolutely not. I'm here to tell you, folks, I don't love my neighbor as myself. I can't live up to that. I'm not going to live. I'll never live up to that. Truth is, you won't either. As self-righteous as we think we are sometimes, or can be, we'll never live up to that. But that is the fulfillment of the law. So if we think we're going to go out there, we're going to make ourselves righteous by following the law, by following the commandments, there's where it starts. Love your neighbor, every, every person that you bump into with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good luck with that. And that's just one example. You know, the law, here's the thing, church. The law, the commandments, all that stuff condemns us. The law condemns us. Look at verse 19. Can you throw up verse 19, bud? One or two more slides. One more. Okay, for the, through the law, I died to the law. This is Paul writing Galatians. This is kind of where we are as we go through the book of Galatians. Died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. The New Living Translation of the Bible does a little better job, I think, of, 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 of explaining what Paul is saying here in, in a more straightforward language. Let me read that to you um, from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all the requirements so that I might live for God. We cannot be saved by trying to follow the law and by trying to follow the commandments. We cannot be justified. We cannot be made right in the eyes of God through our feeble, feeble, feeble attempts at trying to get this stuff right. The law demands, the commandments demand nothing less than absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Can y'all do that? It doesn't demand getting it right a little bit here and there, absolute perfection. And what is the penalty for that? What is the penalty for a lack of perfection, according to God, for not being able to do that? Death. 
separation from God. That's the bad news, church. And I want you all to understand that because this is, this is not new to me. Uh, There's nothing I didn't know before, but it's just, just slapped me in the face so hard lately. We think we're doing good because we follow a little bit of the law. We think we're doing good just because we follow a little bit. Let me explain this to you. If we actually sat down and thought about this, we actually gave this some real thought, we would discover that the little bit that we actually do right pales in comparison to the stuff that we get wrong all day long. Doesn't even, doesn't even come close. Right? Let's just be honest about this, folks. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel of Jesus. Remember that I've told you guys, reminded you guys on a number of occasions that word gospel literally means good news. Right, absolutely. The good news is we don't have to keep the law. We don't have to keep the commandments in order to be accepted. Y'all stick with me because I know that a lot of people have problems with where I'm going with this. There's a time in my life when I would have had problems with where I'm going with this. So I get it. I understand. Don't get mad. Just follow along. I'm going to try my best to, to bring this home, okay? We don't have to keep the commandments to be accepted by God, to be accepted by God. Jesus fixed that problem for us. Verse 16 in our scripture today. Back up one more. We know that a person is not justified. We know that a person is not made right. We know that a person is not made whole. We know that a person is not reconciled to God by the works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. I didn't say it, folks. Paul said it. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by doing the works of the law. Because no one will be justified by the works of the law. I don't think that could be any more plain. Any more plain, folks. Christ justifies us. Faith justifies us. Not anything that we can do, not anything that we don't do. What does that mean to us? Let me, let me see. Now, here's where I'm going. This is where, this is where people, again, I said this last week, start getting a little squirmy. But what does this mean to us? Let me see if I can even come close to describing to you guys. Let me see if I can even come close to illustrating to you guys the magnitude of what this means for us. Y'all get the, I hope, I hope through the first half of that, first three quarters of that, you got the magnitude of the law. You got the magnitude of the commandments, how serious that stuff is. I hope you got the, the fullness of all that. Now, here's the magnitude of the gospel. It means that your rightness and your acceptance in the eyes of God will never be based on your actions or your inactions. It means it will, they will never be based on your abilities or your inabilities. They will never be based on your sins or your lack of sin because none of that is dependent on you. It's given freely through Jesus. We start getting real self-righteous when we hear this message, folks. What about that person? Now let me make y'all really uncomfortable. The gospel of Jesus Christ through faith means that we can never out the grace of God like we talked about when I showed you that slide this morning. It doesn't matter if you don't 
if you don't never donate another dime to this church. It doesn't matter if you never serve up another hot dog. It doesn't matter if you ever never give out another food bag. It doesn't matter. I'm talking about acceptance now, not rightness. But it doesn't matter if you're unable to forgive that person who wronged you. I've got people in my life that I haven't forgiven. There's my confession to you guys for you this morning. There are people in my life that I hold unforgiveness for. I know it's wrong. I know it's part of the law. I know it's part of the commandments of Jesus. But I know I'm still accepted, and God's working on me. It doesn't matter if you have an addiction that you just can't beat. You are perfect in the eyes of God because of Christ Jesus, and absolutely nothing can change that. Nothing. For I am convinced, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. People say, Jerry, you can't preach that. You can't preach that, Jerry. You're encouraging people to sin. You're giving permission for people to go out there and do whatever I want, whatever they want. That's not it at all, and I hope that's not the message that you're receiving this morning. And I hope that you realize, however, that we cannot soft-pedal the gospel just because some people out there might take advantage of it. We have no control over what other people do. But we don't get to make this gospel more complicated than it already is. We don't get to add to the gospel. People say, I've heard people say, I used to say it, folks. People say that preaching and believing like this is sugarcoating the gospel. I got news for you. The gospel is sugarcoated. The gospel is sugarcoated with vanilla ice cream and whipped cream and a cherry on top and whatever else it is you guys want. It is sugarcoated. It's just that good. It is just that radical and it is just that scandalous. Our self-righteous selves don't want to accept the freedom of the gospel of Christ. Our need to control other people does not want us to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to add to it. We want to stress people out. We want to give people anxiety when they're already accepted, no matter what. Already, already what? The gospel by no means, by no means affirms sin. The gospel by no means affirms or condones sin. But it does absolve you. 100%. No requirements, no additions, no questions asked. Absolute absolution. Here's the thing, church, and here's, here's, here's where I have messed up over these years. And this is where I've seen so many churches go wrong. And it's just it's so, it's so clear to me, man. So many churches go wrong, and, and so many pastors and, and Christians in general have gone wrong is we have made Christianity so much about morality. And here's what we do. We have tried forcing the morality route on people. We've perverted the true gospel, and we've turned away from the transformative power of the simple gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation with God through faith in Christ. Forgiveness transforms, church. 
Not me preaching morality to you guys. Not me preaching, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Forgiveness transforms, folks. The gospel transforms. The morality and the law, as Paul says, condemns and kills us. How many people, tell me, y'all tell me. How many of y'all sitting out there want me to stand up here and tell you how much you fall short? Raise your hand. How does that make you feel when a preacher comes up here and stands in front of you, tells you how bad you are and how bad you fall short? Does that convict you? Does that make you love God? No. We rebel against that. We don't want to hear that. It doesn't transform, and it doesn't save. The gospel saves. Forgiveness saves. Folks, it ain't about morality. Everybody out there knows what morality is. Even atheists know what morality is. Everybody in this world has some sense of morality. Everybody in this has ever walked the face of the planet has some kind of sense of right and wrong. If you don't believe me, go steal a drug dealer's car and see what he thinks. Everybody has a sense of morality. People know about that. What they don't know is forgiveness. What they don't know is forgiveness. And that's the message that we have. Not morality, not self-improvement. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Over and over and over and over. Check out this quote that I found from a... He's, he's passed away now. But there's a guy named Robert Capon. He was, a, uh, he was an Episcopal priest. He says, Our pulpits are mostly fountains of irrelevancy when they are not puddles of dullness. I hope I don't give y'all a puddle of dullness. They soak us with helpful hints about self-improvement in everything from morality to health to family life to peace of mind giving the advice that if we are just loving enough, we will find the key to earthly happiness. And all the while, every last item in that list of free advice is 180 degrees off the gospel mark. Jesus proclaims unlimited forgiveness, not the harsh and public criticism of sinners. He comes to us in our brokenness, the brokenness of our health. He comes to us in the shipwrecks of our family lives. He comes to us in the loss of all possible peace of mind, even in the very thick of our sins. He saves us in our disasters, not from our disasters. He emphatically does not promise to meet only the odd winner of the self-improvement lottery. He meets us all in our endless and inescapable losing. The gospel is for losers, folks. The gospel is for losers. It's for people, like I told you last week, know that they have a need for a Savior. Not the self-righteous. It's for losers. <laughs> Those who know very well that they don't have it all together. Those who know very well that they never will have it all together. It's for the sick. It's for the beaten up. It's for the worn out. And it is for the bedraggled. So, you know, from talking, from talking to and hearing from a lot you know, those people this, over the last few weeks, um, the ones that have spoken to me about it anyway, this, this, this message is hitting home. 
Hey, my message, I didn't come up with it. It goes against so much that I believed before. But here's the paradox of the gospel. Here's the, here's the great paradox of Christianity. We win by losing. We become winners by surrendering. That ain't something you can teach. I can't teach you guys to surrender. That's something that happens to us. That ain't something that we force on us. First shall be last. Last shall be first. Remember Jesus saying something like that? We grow by giving up. And we grow by giving in to the love of God through Christ. The sad thing is, and this goes back to point. Bring it back up, that slide, Sandy, if you will, the black one. Right before that. This brings back up point number one. So many of those people who've spoken to me, so many people, those people who've called me, who've texted me, emailed me, the one that dropped a letter in the mail, they have told me that they felt like they did not measure up because they just weren't doing enough for God. People have told me that they have been overwhelmed by trying to be good in the eyes of other people and in the eyes of God, trying to do more and more and more, but never able to do enough. Yet this simple message, the simple message of reconciliation and forgiveness has broken through to them. Let them know that they are enough. They are accepted by God who loves them dearly. So that's the message. You're accepted. Everybody knows Jesus loves you, but we struggle. We struggle with that idea of acceptance. God accepts you. And you're not just enough. You're perfect. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you so much for your simple, straightforward gospel, the gospel that we try to complicate, the gospel that we try to add requirements to. We just need rest sometimes, God, and you are the, uh, you're the source for that. Help us to realize our acceptance and our enoughness in our perfection in your eyes, not because of what we have done, ever will do, or don't do, but because of what Christ has accomplished for us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Come on up, Kev.